In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovis.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and don't go gently, y'all. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Thanks for listening to the Western Hunting Hub podcast. In this episode, I have John Stallone on. We're talking about application seasons and a start to a conversation I'm going to have with a few different people about what their take is on what's happening with drawing tags in a state in your state or uh, as a non-resident so kind of looking at some of those different things so enjoy this episode with john stallone from howl for wildlife all right john thanks for coming on to the western hunting Hub podcast uh got john stallone here from howl for wildlife on and previous guest we stay in contact here and there uh, uh and uh also check out the howlcast we we uh make sure we put those episodes up as they come in especially during the legislative season and and all that and i'm sure this is your busy time of the year uh seems like every well every state agency is is cramming throwing new things out um in the all the conservation groups are working their butts off to to fight for what they what they need and um we've got a big thing that just happened here that impacts you i know uh it may well, not so much because it's pri- uh, in here in south dakota we didn't you didn't have uh private land restrictions added but mm. we, we had uh, kind of a big deal pass that uh, affects a lot of non-resident public land hunters here in South Dakota for archery and deer and antelope. Do you see that? I honestly, I did not. Um, I'm finding it harder and harder to really focus um, on on bills because there's so many coming out. There, I mean, yeah. it's like <laughs> they come out of left field and 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 so many people are con we want them to we contacting us and be like hey have you seen this or hey have you seen that uh it so uh, as you may know or may not know a lot of these bills you know they're 15 30 40 pages and um they are not you know at face value if you just read the summary that summary is designed for the person who doesn't have a whole lot of time they know they're going to read it and it's going to not necessarily give you the what the underlying um, like oh. purpose of that bill is. Yeah, they're very they're very sneaky. Throw in most bills. Throw yeah. in whatever meets their and, and agenda. On both, yeah, and on both sides too. 
Mm. Like, yeah, for instance, there's one in Maryland right now that um, basically would allow or not allow, would require that there would be people on the commission that are basically anti-hunting. That's the wording. Like, I mean, it's so sneaky the way it's put in there, and there's actually hunting groups supporting it. Hmm. Because at face value, if you read it, it's like, okay, yeah, wildlife are for everyone. Right. You know, it should be represented from everyone. But you read into it, 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 it gives it yeah it's sneaky it's, it's sneaky it's the problem is, is we you know i'm in this and i still don't have the time uh charles doesn't have the time to research every single bill that comes across it no we way. have people luckily we have people doing it for us um you know researching yeah researching bills and whatnot um to help us out and a lot of the boots on the ground organizations are coming to us and presenting things to us in a, a way that's more digestible and easy to you know work with um but yeah it's uh <laughs> it's an undertaking yeah. so no uh, going back to what you said i did actually i'd love to hear about it real quick yeah so it's um it's still in the works you know that the i think they got a Mm, I'm so bad with this stuff, and that's why I'm not. I'm just gonna play your play the episodes for the Howcast and not be a contributor to reading bills because I'll tell you the wrong thing. <laughs> and that's why I need guys like you to like that can read it and and organizations like you, like Howell, to be able to read it, decipher like, look at this. This says put anti hunters on the board, uh, and I, I'm the guy that really isn't gonna spend the time reading the whole bill. I really don't have time to do it. I just want to hear the highlights mm-hmm. of what's going on and, oh, something needs yep. an attention. Sure, I'm going to throw a vote that way. Um, right. But what happened here in South Dakota is the uh, South Dakota Bow Hunters Association uh, has been trying to fight for limiting our archery deer and archery antelope uh, for non-residents is mainly the the target but uh, we've just had a huge huge increase in archery hunters non-resident coming to south dakota and if, if i'm correct here we there is no other state where you can just walk in and buy an over-the-counter archery antelope it's technically not over the counter but it's it's basically is you can you just walk in you buy an archery antelope tag uh for archery deer there is a deadline where you have to have that your applications in by an april date but unlimited anybody that's mule deer whitetail doesn't matter and so we had just a huge influx of non-resident hunters over the last few years and it at the at the trend that it's going at would not be good for wildlife and this whole thing is not a management issue at all it's a social issue talking about overcrowding and and really where our our conversation is going to hopefully go today is some of those overcrowding pieces and getting tags and so how hard it can and cannot be to get these tags so uh they now have for uh our, our commission working on getting all the way through 2200 non-resident archery tags for non-residents so that has a cap to it 
that's public land only. Still mm-hmm. unlimited for private land. Uh, right. And then for archery antelope, I believe it's 440 for public land hunters. And then private land, it's still unlimited. And we had a big decrease in, we had about 13% decrease in our herd over the last three years on antelope. Yeah. So that needed. And, and deer. Deer has gone down too because of the weather, right? You guys had some. Yeah, like, I, I, I couldn't. Severe winters and really hot summers that didn't have any water. Yeah, I couldn't. I, I haven't seen that data, but I just because I haven't looked, I haven't dug dug into the deer numbers on that. But um, yeah, there's 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 an area of concern there of overcrowding and what kind of hunt people are getting. So right. that's a, a kind of a big deal, uh, and we kind of need it for our turkeys too. The turkeys here in the Black Hills are still unlimited. Mm-hmm. Anybody can come this way. It's a huge destination area for people because. They can go shoot a Miriam's, and it's pretty far east in the world of Miriam's. <laughs> so yep. uh, people from Wisconsin, they're going to come this way. And Pennsylvania, they're going to come this way. And if they can't get all the way to Colorado or Wyoming, Montana, whatever, they're just the first place, and it's a beautiful area to do that. So, yeah, a little, little overcrowding has, has brought some attention to our, our commission. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, to be honest with you, and I might get some shit for this, but I've also been told that I'm part of the problem of why people are uh, going to South Dakota. So, <laughs> um, because I, I promoted it a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, anyway, that's well, a whole different story. But uh, it, it, I, I, I'm not against them doing that. I honestly think that what they did is a, is a good thing. Um, not necessarily... I'm not really concerned about the overcrowding thing portion of it, but I did notice, I have noticed in the last few years that the overall number of deer we've seen is starting to go down a little bit. Hmm. So um, I think that having a cap is not a, necessarily a bad thing, especially it, if right now if it's based. I, I'm sure they based it off of like, hey, historically we sell X amount of tags per year. I'm just going to throw arbitrary numbers out there. Uh, let's say we sell 2,000 a year of out of state for deer and on public land, and so we're going to cap it off at 1,800. So it's like almost what they normally sell, just slightly below it type deal. And it's that a, usually works out pretty good. Well, um, it's and the crazy thing is it's actually a huge decrease. Um, is it? I, don't, yeah. I really don't know. Because yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Okay. No. Um, and I only know that from because I listened to a, a Hunt Quietly podcast where the South Dakota Bowhunter Association president went on there and talked to talk some numbers and that it, mm. it is there is a huge decrease there mainly i think with antelope i think antelope had a big decrease but i guess we should both be careful we don't know we're talking about what we don't know about numbers wise right. um, exactly i don't want to yeah yeah but also they said the the bowhunter association did say something uh that made a lot of sense to me that we're we are doing this with non-residents in mind we, mm-hmm. we 
still there's nothing wrong with still saying come to south dakota and hunt uh now come to south dakota and hopefully over the next few years you're going to have an even better experience right there's nothing wrong with waiting a few years and having a better quality experience and i know in south or in colorado they lost the whole Graham mesa for the over-the-counter area that was like three units i don't know that's a huge chunk of ground that is now not over the counter and and i'm headed to colorado this year for over the counter and i'm for archery elk and a little nervous about that with overcrowding of guys showing up like oh that's not in that unit anymore guess i'll just go over to this one and well that's the problem that's a huge problem with having over the counter and not over the counter units like you're either going to be over the counter all the way across the board or you're not going to be that's my opinion and um, that's me putting my manager my wildlife manager hat on i don't i don't like when they have one unit on one side of the highway that's over the counter and the other unit across the way is draw that makes yeah do you hunt montana at all i have I have. And I'm just learning it. And if I draw a general tag, which looks like I have, it was 54% chance last year. So probably 53 or 52% chance this year. Um, mm-hmm. There, it seems like they have so many of those general unit areas. And then just a couple scattered for those hard to draw areas for and kind of what it looks like for what you're talking about where you have almost all over the counter or all general season giving it spreading out that good hunting quality property so that uh i kind of i saw that for a little bit after i was digging into it i was like oh that makes sense i kind of like that and i think there that's why you can probably find some of that better quality hunting throughout because it's general throughout a good chunk of the state right but yeah. digging into it montana is a little confusing montana is yeah, yeah they definitely are so uh it's application season and what's your plan what do you got uh in the works i mean obviously it's it's all down to so, what you get lucky to draw but what do you true. hope for so my my and it's it's you know good that we're talking about over the counter and all this stuff my overall philosophy is i'm just trying to create opportunities right so i typically i have several states where i'm building points to get a high quality hunt you know um so for instance in arizona um i used to only i used to put in for units for elk, uh, let's say, let's use elk as an, ex- uh, an example. I used to put in for whatever I had the, not only the best chance of drawing, but also would give me a quality hunt. So, like, I don't go for the bottom of the barrel just to get a tag, but at the same time, I I want to get a tag. So, I'm, I'm looking for those units, those... Um, I was, so now what I've done now is I, now I'm at a point that I have a certain amount of points here for elk. I'm going to continue to kind of shoot for the stars, so to speak, or at least 
an upper tier unit that that I want, and then the rest of my elk hunting, unless I have a bunch of points in a state, like if I have a bunch of points already, I'm going to keep shooting for the stars. Like right now in Wyoming, um, I've been shooting for a certain unit and point creep kind of screwed me over a couple times and I actually drew the unit that I wanted in 2017, but end up having a shoulder injury. So I turned my tag back in, I got my points back, but I haven't drawn there in like 13 years uh, for elk. And I'm building points in Wyoming because I want to get a certain quality of hunt. And it's not important to go hunt every year. Right. Well, it is important for me to go hunt every year, but not 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 in Wyoming. Wyoming. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, So my strategy is always this. I, I have X amount of states with X amount of points, and I am shooting for the stars in those, and then everything else I fill in with opportunity. Where can where do I have the best chance of drawing a tag, or what over the counter opportunities are there? And I basically set it up that from August through January, I have a hunt, at least one hunt per month. I know some people are like, "Well, screw you, John." for <laughs> that much time but i'd say i basically set a week away outside per month to to go hunting once a you know once a month september to december or uh, august. august august sometimes even, actually to be honest with you july because I, I i'll go blacktail hunting so like typically i'll start in july i'll go blacktail hunting in july and then august is either okay do i still have a tag in arizona if i still have a tag in arizona for archery i might go try to fill that or i have some units in utah um and um yeah basically utah it's either utah or arizona for for august uh for archery deer and then september i try to get an elk tag either in like idaho or um montana or you know, I'm putting in for high, high profile hunts in Arizona and Wyoming. I could either draw those and then I go for mid tier in Colorado draws, draw. So like five, four or five point type hunts. Mm-hmm. So if I don't draw any of those, then I may do like September, I might go do antelope and deer together in wyoming because uh, i hunt units that i could pretty much draw every year um i haven't actually been in six years because i've been on a streak of getting an elk tag somewhere mm-hmm. um but i might do that or my fallback is to go possibly go roosevelt elk hunting in oregon for well not washington anymore i don't know if i want to touch that state anymore the way it's been but Oregon is always an option too for for elk in the over the counter uh, for the Roosevelts. It's a tough, really tough hunt, fun hunt though. Different type, a little different than than most places. Um, and then October is usually my like my swing month. You know, I'm putting in for moose in a, in several different states because beginning of October is usually a very good time to go moose hunting. 
Um, if I don't do that, I may go to New York, uh, parlay that with visiting family and go whitetail hunting, or I might set up a whitetail hunt in the Midwest. And then sometimes it gets filled up with me guiding here. So October is like not necessarily something I have. I don't have it. It's, October is usually my most ill-planned. Um, I put in for Ibex every year. Um, you know, obviously that's not something that I haven't been drawn since 2016. But I did draw, draw two years in a row, 15 and 16. Um and that's October as well. Hmm. Um, so like October, I kind of use as like, I can, again, like kind of shoot for the stars type deal. Yeah. November, I'm usually in South Dakota in the beginning of November. And then the end of November, sometimes I will go hunting again because I will have either a rifle tag here in Arizona or I will have, um, you know, I won't be hunting for myself. I'll be hunting with my wife or my kids, put them in for a late season um, elk tag or a or a, not necessarily a late season but later season deer tag here um, and then December again kind of goes to whether or not I still have a tag in Arizona for archery deer if I do I'll probably hunt archery deer here if not um, I try to I can't say because I don't want people to know about it um, I, I have a hunt that I like to do in the beginning of December that I'm not going to share because <laughs> it's going to ruin it. Yeah. Um, and, and then I, you know, I've also in the past, I've gone to like Texas or, you know, um, any of the, of the Gulf States that have December deer, really good December deer hunting. Yeah, where the where the rut's starting, or Texas is kind of like full swing, and and, and then in years past, I've even gone to Mexico in December, uh, which I haven't done in quite some time now, too, probably like 2017, 2016, something like that. Gotcha. And but, and for for those guys that are just hunting their home state, maybe um, looking into hunting multiple states, or they do pick up a state here and there. I'm kind of in that middle. I, I hunt my home state, and then for sure one other state. Now it's been, the last two years has been three total states. Um, maybe four, who knows? Uh, it, that would A four-state year would be a lot for me, not including mm -hmm. Texas, because that's always in a weird time of the year. Um, but that would be a lot for me. So the, there's a lot of strategy I hear in what you're saying. And we're not, yeah. you're not just gloating on about, I get to do this, that it's a, there's strategy that you're explaining is some of that based on, um, the application dates. Like how, how are you using, uh, say when those application results are out to maybe determine the rest say like Montana, I learned, okay, it's due here in the next couple of weeks. Um, mm -hmm. and their results are out two weeks later. So how are right. you using, um, or prioritizing a state over another state <laughs> or maybe, maybe that's, yeah. Um, well, it's, it's gotten way more complicated because some of the states have moved. Used to be that you found out 
it was kind of set up pretty nice. It used to be you found out like if you were going hunting in a state before you had to apply for another state. Um, and that's really not the case anymore. So if we're talking about elk hunting for me, like just because that seems to be the hard, harder tag to get, um, and there's less opportunity in the elk world than there is in the deer world. Um, like I, I try to get an Idaho tag, Like that's my first, well, let me back up. If I know I have a hundred percent chance of drawing, like in two years, I'll have a hundred percent chance of drawing the tag that I want here in Arizona. If that is the case, I'm probably not even going to try to get an Idaho tag because I don't need to have two tags in my pocket that I going to be like, I can't do either one justice because I, I don't have, I mean, I got a lot of time, but I don't have, I don't mm-hmm. have, Hey wife, I'm going hunting for 20 days. I'll yeah, a, a, a week is <laughs> a week is not long enough. If you drew that, that sheep tag in Colorado to really like, so, yeah, right. I, I drew it. I don't care what's going on in the world. I'm hunting that thing till I get what I want. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, but, um, so, you know, it, it, a lot of it's based on where I'm at in the pecking order with my, um, my higher profile hunts or the higher, um, quality hunts. And if I don't, if I don't feel like I have a, fighting chance really i will i will i'll work my my strategy to getting tags that i know i can get now there's been times because a lot of these states like arizona is one of them you can get a you know a, a tag in the random draw like you you know a tag that takes 20 points you could get with one point it happens um but that's one of those situations where you're like oh cool i'm gonna waste six hundred dollars that i just spent on a tag in idaho but i got you know i got the golden goose so yeah um sometimes that happens um but my my strategy is always based on first taking a thirty thousand foot view of what my possibilities are and then again, just kind of like narrowing it down to make sure that there is a hunt going on at least once a month. I try not to stack them there. I mean, if I wanted to, I could probably, you know, go do two or three elk hunts in a year if, if I set it up right. Um, and, you know, it's 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 all about time, money, and, and right. it's not always just about what you can get and what you can't get because there's opportunities out there you just gotta gotta be willing to go get them um so yeah the eh, that all sounds very complicated and it's it's daunting (laughs) and i really don't know how to put it no to be honest i don't i don't either and i and i'm one thing i always simplify it back down to or what are my goals what are my what are my hunt goals I am trying to bring it down to, uh, can I fulfill those goals? And, and that's come up between those conversations with my wife and already discussing hunt plans for the next year of what should I do? And my wife told me the other day, 
Um, no, don't run away with this idea, she said. But I prefer you to do those more quality hunts, let's just say, or the ones where I plan a whole week or 10 days and go and do them versus you picking up every tag that's a possibility, every opportunity that comes by and pick up another three doe tags, another West River right. tag here, another East River tag there, and you just keep buying little tags for 35 bucks a piece or whatever they are for in the state, and you ended up with 10 deer tags. I would much rather you go and do these bigger hunts. You schedule it out. You're hunting, and then you're hunting. You're home, and then you're home. And having that that home time all there, which is a whole other conversation for yeah, different no, day. Yeah, but, that's, but that's a consideration. Like your your home life is is your home life your your work life those are those are really the first considerations honestly oh, like yeah. you need to you need to look at that first before you can say hey I'm gonna go try to pick up this tag or pick up that tag um, you know uh, luckily for me work yes more so now than ever is kind of getting in the way of certain things but for the most part as long as I and this this falls into my my tag strategy too. Um, as long as I have cell phone service, I can pretty much operate my business remotely. Hmm. As long as I have access to internet, so I try, I try not to do. I don't. You never see me do backcountry hunts because you know, unless it's necessary for me to do for that specific tag or that specific species. I typically don't do that. Um, even when I am hunting your wilderness and backcountry type stuff, I'm one of those guys that hikes all the way back out every evening and goes and stays in a lodge or a motel or an Airbnb or whatever the case may be so that I have internet to do my business at night. And then I wake up early and I hike my happy butt back all the way in there. So, um, but that's your balance. That's your, that's how you're able to make that happen. And the sacrifice you're going to, you're making, got to hike a few more miles, stay up a little Uh later, maybe not have that, that camp life. Um, maybe the end, that's probably a lot more solo style hunting then. Um, no, not necessarily. Um, I'm, and I'm not really a, I don't really like solo hunting, um, to be honest with you. I There's something about, and it's not like that I can't do it or am I less effective. I've done my, my share of it. And been, actually, I think I'm probably more effective when I'm by myself because less smell, less movement, less whatever. Was, sorry, my phone's going nuts. Somebody's on the door. Um, the... I just I enjoy the Robert and the, the the you know interaction of having my fellow hunter there with me. Oh yeah, I, those are the memories. The memories, the memories are always better in my to me when there's somebody there to share them. Mm-hmm. Like when you're telling a story about a hunt, you know you're just telling a story about a hunt to somebody who wasn't there. But when you're sharing a story with somebody who was there with you it's different you know like i I don't know how to yeah really put that into words but that's for me that's more like 
I I look back at memories and I and and the memory of the hunt's great, but it's also the memory of the experience with whoever was there with me. Yeah. And that adds so, a whole nother layer to it for planning your strategy out if you're adding another person to this. Yes. Oh yes, <laughs> absolutely. Because there you have to have somebody, you know. You double the complicated schedules, you double the Yes. Yeah. Hundred percent. And hundred percent. Yeah. And and that's why that's primarily why I hunt mainly by myself is just schedules don't align, goals don't align, um yeah. points yeah. don't align. Um, mm-hmm. and that's probably, I hunt with my dad the most just because he's retired. He'll go wherever yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have yep. the points yep. that I have for different things, but for over the counter, it doesn't matter. We're, we can schedule those. And, um, so yeah, I, as you say that, it got me really excited for my Montana hunt. And I really hope I draw that just because I'm planning it with a buddy and I haven't done a lot of that hunting with other people and sharing those stories. Mm-hmm. I've had those experiences of, that just happened and nobody saw it but me. Just right. Like, exactly. Exactly. I can tell that story, but I'm not sharing that story. So that got me excited about Montana and, and hopefully the hopefully yeah. the draw is it, good. Too. It's different. It's not for everybody because, you know, that – and it, listen, it, for me, it always works out better if you got one person – that you could do a lot of hunts with, or at least one or two or, two or three people top, you know, it depends on how many hunting trips you like to do a year or, you know, can do a year. Um, but like, so I hunt a lot with Charles. Okay. Charles and I will do, we'll do Idaho together this year. Uh, if I go to California in July, I'm going to be going with him because he lives there. Um, and then we'll do South Dakota together. And then south from South Dakota, we'll, we'll probably, more than likely, we're going to do that special hunt that I was telling you about that I wasn't going to share uh, in December. And then um, he'll be here in, in Arizona with me in January. So, you know, right there, we've kind of gotten to a point, you know, we, where we were doing one or two hunts a year together to now we're doing almost all of them together because over time those points things those things that you were talking about earlier they start aligning you know the more you hunt with that person the more your goals start getting um aligned and 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 things get a little bit easier um so i've always had not always but for a lot long time i've always had it so that um the people that I was hunting with was very, very much like uh, me in in the way my life is set up, and yeah. so Charles has a very similar situation with it, with work and stuff, and so and, and his own business, so that works out. But the flip side of it is, you know, different hunting styles, different. Um, so like actually, Charles when he first started hunting with me, he prefers to hunt by himself. So we would hunt, we would go together, but he would go off on his own and I would be off on my own, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and there's still, a, there's still a level of that because I think he's still in his head. He still almost prefers that. Um, and he, and, and 
I think maybe he might be more effective that way. Then see, like me, I know how to utilize the other person very well because I've been doing the buddy hunting thing for a long time. And here in Arizona, for instance, like when I guide people, we use, you know, hair workers allowed, we're allowed to use radios and, you know, things like that. So I'm used to being able to bounce things off of people and either discard it because I know it's not information that I need or or utilize the information so it, it, it's a it's a nuanced thing that takes time and over time you kind of develop that thing it's just like you know hunting with anybody you're gonna over time you're gonna like learn their habits and how they do things and be able to play off each other's strengths and their weaknesses and, and so on and so forth so but it, it's right. a, it's definitely uh it's an undertaking and it takes some time um you know previously when i had my tv show um I was always hunting with somebody, but it was my cameraman. So I was just the hunter and I was still making all the decisions. And I was, you know, it wasn't like, Hey, you know, I shouldn't say that because even then I would ask, Hey, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? Sure. Uh, but my cameraman that worked for me for the most part, uh, there's, there's exceptions to that. I had a few guys that were really great hunters too. Um, were, were more cameramen than they were hunters, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, it was, it was mostly just me making decisions and they're following along uh, and they're following along, but I still had somebody to share it with, you know? So that was actually a kind of a really great thing for a long time because I got the best of both worlds, you know? Sure. Um, you know, it's like you, you, you got a paid, <laughs> paid companion, I guess, you know, <laughs> but, uh, it was uh that th those were fun those were fun times um and uh i i found a lot of success back then because of that i had like really um it was just like all on me and i had my what i wanted to do and the places i wanted to go and, uh but i still got like had like i said i had the benefit of one somebody there shared with and somebody also there to document it like i kind of miss filming all my hunts to be honest with you because i don't have like i can't come back home and show that stuff to my wife and kids and you know share with people who care about what i'm doing um mm -hmm. so you know i try to still i try to still film it yeah fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish it's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home it's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. 
As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short sleeve moisture wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. Yeah. I don't know if I went down, I went down on a rabbit hole here. No, you're fine. You're <laughs> yeah, fine. Kind of getting off the subject. No, uh, one more question on this subject is, is uh, do you use a company to help you with applying or do you use uh, and do you use Epic or Go Hunt or any of those? To- I definitely, I use the shit out of Go Hunt. Um, you know, Go Hunt. And I'm not just saying this because they're a partner of ours uh, on Health of Wildlife, mm-hmm. um, but they that that system for me has been a game changer um i at one point i was actually sponsored by hunting fool uh when i had the tv show and they did do some tag stuff for me not all of it i had i gave them like like 50 percent of my portfolio basically and said okay run with this and try to get me tags in in these states that i don't know a lot about and then um, you know, then the rest was on me. Sure. So I never had anybody really sitting there uh, planning out. But you know, being on my podcast and stuff like that, I I did a lot of interviews with uh, guys from from that space, hunting fool, Gohan, and Epic, and and had people on discussing tag strategy for certain specific states and all that stuff. So a lot of it I learned uh, from those guys. So a lot of it was also trial and error, but um, I did learn a lot. I did learn a lot of tag uh, strategy stuff that, uh, that helped me out through the years for sure. Yeah. This is my first year using something besides, get hunting fool with an onyx membership so that's just a thing that's there but um i and i may have jumped the gun on it i just did it on a whim uh, i've got a couple buddies that use epic and uh was like all right i'll just go for it when i mean go hunt is does have a have an appeal to me as well so i may try this this year i'll try go hunt next year see what happens and yeah. see, see what sticks a little bit better but i mean i like epics magazine it's pretty nice publication um, oh, yeah. but go hunt seems to have a little a few different things that that uh kind of were attractive it's more it's more of a tool than a advisory uh an advisor yeah so, so um on this complicatedness of buying tags and, and and everything it i have this conversation with new hunters all the time it's like why is this so complicated why can't it just be a show up and buy a tag and i always say well it needs to be a complicated system because it wasn't at one time and herds weren't as healthy uh you i i'll speak to the black hills um i know i know say my grandpa in his heyday of of hunting if you saw a little spike whitetail run through the Black Hills or a two-point, oh, you saw a two-point, oh, man, <laughs> or a basket wreck, you you saw a monster. Um, right. <laughs> and you shot it. You saw it. You shot it. Now, now that there is restricted number of tags and it has a complicated system, it's not just go buy a deer tag. 
there's some quality deer in the hills and they're not they're not big prairie whitetails it's like a sub it's like a subspecies it's not their deer are smaller they're um they there's a lot of really chocolate mountain whitetails to them 145 mm-hmm. inch deer is a monster in the in the black yeah. hills so yeah but the fact that they exist now is only because of that complicated process so yeah sure. we've taken units away from over the counter we have made a draw system we've made a preference point system it's gotten complicated and i'm going to mm-hmm. have this conversation with ryan from hunt az and um oh cool and, awesome. uh, you know i i've got something's with Aaron Schneider, I know I'm going to have him on. He he said we'd, he'd jump on at some point, and I thought that this might be another topic with him as well. I want to hear people's perspectives on what is happening with hunting, and with hunter numbers, you read a, in some places saying hunter numbers are dr- going down, but then you mm. see maybe not in the West. Is it yeah. other hunters are hunting more states? Is that more prevalent? Is it uh, like what? What is making hunting so difficult and almost? I don't want to say a rich man sport, but sheep has definitely gone that way. Um, yeah, and out of well, some I think things, sheep has always kind of been there. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, honestly, <laughs> but like taking thirty. I don't know where Colorado or or uh, Arizona's at, but 32, 33 points. I mean, that point creep is is insane yeah. <laughs> that is those yeah. are out of reach for most almost all people so what is happening mm-hmm. in our hunting world with our hunter numbers and why are things getting so difficult to draw in your opinion okay yeah i was gonna say this is my opinion but first but first before we get into this you smith you mentioned something that makes me want to say this do not bitch about changes that go from if they were decided by the biologists, decided by the game and fish department and were not influenced by uh anti-hunting type stuff that's a different story if it is but if you lose a unit from over the counter to a draw there's a reason for it 100 percent. okay i agree with you there's a reason for it and we as hunters should support the science wherever road it takes us down because it ebbs and flows so the unit might be on the decline so in a response to that they're going to reduce tag numbers or they're going to uh somehow come up with a way to reduce opportunity and and the overall take of that animal so that it could rebound and then eventually hopefully the 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 process the way it works is that there'll be a time where those tag numbers go back up so support the science support your game and fish departments and don't bitch about stuff like that there's plenty of stuff for us to bitch about and if you want to put your time and your effort into uh getting involved and having your opinion voiced it should be towards anti-hunting and and the things that are removing hunting from the landscape 100 100 percent agree agree on that because what nobody sees anywhere is in my little 
things with what my podcast stands for is we support I support state agencies and their decisions that are being made. I put that in there uh, as one because I work for a state agency, and I, but I've and I see some of the, how that all works. But I want to support them, and I want to um, understand that there's far more. That's why we have biologists to do this work. Where I may not see or understand how to crunch those numbers, I know mm-hmm. our biologists are able to crunch those numbers and see that this could help our hunter success, our hunters' uh, satisfaction rates, that sort of thing. So, hundred percent agree. Right, going on. Okay, so that being said, what you're asking me, this is what I think, okay? And I don't have the numbers, exact numbers in front of me, so we're not, we're going to, we're going to deal in, we're going to deal in concept, not, uh, not necessarily specifically statistics. So I'm going to throw out statistics, but I'm going to tell you guys right now, these statistics are not a hundred percent. Okay. There, there might be close, but they're not a hundred percent. So in 1980 is when supposedly we had the most hunters in the United States. That was the peak of license sales was in the 1980s. And I believe off the top of my head, we were somewhere around 17 million. Okay. Okay. Now, the population of the world in the 1980s, again, don't quote me on the number, were somewhere around 4 billion, I believe. If I remember from when I was a kid, it was somewhere around that. Okay. Now, we are somewhere around 15 and a half to 16 million hunters. So, the grand scheme of things, not that much less. And we have 8 billion people in the world. Okay, so population has grown a shit ton, doubled almost. It was like four and a half billion. Actually, now that I think about it, four and a half billion, now it's eight billion. Okay, so almost doubled. And the as a percentage, this is why you hear that, you know, there's not that many hunters as our percentage goes down. So we went from occupying like 10% of the population. Now we're 5% of the population, something like that. Hmm. Yep. Again. Yep. Okay. So that's, that's why you hear that. But in the grand scheme of things, 15 and a half to 17 million, 1.5 million. I mean, that's a lot of numbers, but that is not really that much difference. Okay. Yeah. And the big difference is, back in 1980, a guy hunted right there by his house. Okay, you hunted in your own county. You most people didn't even leave their own county to go hunting. You know, right? Like, oh yeah. That that's that's what hunting was in 1980s. Now, you and I just had a conversation about tag strategy, and I told you. 10 different states and that I'm hunting July, August, September. Now, believe me, I know everybody's not like me. Okay. And there's varying, varying uh, levels of, of the hunter. Okay. There's a guy that hunts one week a year, but there's also guys that are way past me. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. You know, guys that hunt a hundred days, 120 days or more a year. Okay, so the 
overall population of animals in the United States, some, okay, see, that's too much, even too much of a blanket uh, statement. There's some areas where the population is exploding and there's a need for more hunting. Um, that deer are nuisance because they are in suburban areas and there's people that they pay to go shoot these animals. Um, you know, they're paid snipers basically <laughs> that go around and shoot these animals out of people's yards and, and whatnot. And, um, but there's also places like in the West where almost every state has had a decline in mule deer. And why is that? Because the West, look at the West in the last 10, 15, 20 years, I could just tell you from now, Phoenix in the last five years has grown one and a half million people. Like, um, there's just an influx of people leaving the Californias and the East Coast and coming to the interior West, mm. coming to the Arizona, Colorados. And so, you know, all right, just to give you some other numbers. Um, Arizona, okay, and I, I don't remember, again, don't quote me on the actual number, so I'm just going to give you an example that, gives it gives you it gives you an idea what it what it was we went from like 15,000 applications out of state for the elk draw to like 27,000 okay that's a lot yeah okay that's a lot <laughs> big difference uh some of that has to do with the fact that there's more resident hunters here but also the popularity of people going out of state or wanting to have an experience, which I think somewhere that, else that has to be significant. It's huge. It's huge. So if you if you imagine there was 15 million hunters uh, and let's say or 17 million hunters in 1980, and let's say I don't know, I, I'm again pulling this out of my butt, but let's say 14 million of those hunters never left a hundred mile radius of their house to, to go hunting. Now, fast forward to 2023, more than half of the hunters are hunting at least one other state. Du almost you're, you're doubling. <laughs> so now it's hard to make this, to make this connection because Obviously, with inflation and the, the price of, of tags, so and, I, and again, I don't know the exact numbers. I uh, I didn't prepare to to give you this. I would have uh, went and did the research and, and had the actual numbers for you. But okay, in 1980, let's say we spent hunters on tags. Actually, this information is really readily available. I probably could pull it up on Google right now, but. I'm just going to give you stupid numbers, okay? Let's say 1980, we spent on tags, 17 million people spent $17 million, okay? Mm -hmm. Bullshit. It's a BS, BS number, right? Yeah. Okay. 
in 2023, 15 million spend a half a billion dollars. Okay, now yes, there isn't there. Like I said, there's a, a a certain amount of that that's because tags that costed twenty five dollars now cost seventy dollars, but but it's also because the the hunters that are hunting now hunt more, spend more days afield, and go and spend and have more tags than just the one beer tag in their pocket that they had in nineteen eighty. Yeah, definitely. Okay, look. Just look at in, in this. If this doesn't tell you, look at the industry of hunting. I don't know how old you are, but in 1980, there was like two camouflage companies. Right. How many camouflage companies are there now? Who knows? And how many camouflage companies are there that sell a pair of pants that are over two hundred fifty dollars? Right. <laughs> not right. not twenty five dollars in, in Walmart. Okay. Yeah. So if that doesn't show you something, then you know, I don't I don't know. We shouldn't go on. You shouldn't keep listening to this conversation because you just don't get it. <laughs> like, you know. But no. that that is yeah. why. That is why. It has nothing nothing more so to do than a supply and demand. Right. Okay. So there's less opportunity partly because there is less opportunity there's not as many places to go hunt there's expansion of of uh rural areas uh even suburban areas that are, are pushing opportunity away okay animal numbers are getting a little bit smaller and you have a more engaged oh definitely uh, a more engaged hunting community hunting community that is hunting not only hunting more but is more effective than they used to be that's okay a, that's so, a really good point a whole nother conversation but a very good point there you're way yeah, more efficient all, all these podcasts and stuff that we're doing and i you know i i didn't know about this getting into it you know but in 2004 when i started the hunting channel online and i started podcasting and i started putting out YouTube videos to teach people how to be better hunters. I didn't know what I was the impact. Now I'm not saying that me, <laughs> but there's thousands and thousands of me out there doing that. Right. Okay. And all these people. So the learning curve, the, the, everything is just, it's right there where it wasn't right there. Like, it's the Before same. I started doing that stuff in 2004, I had whatever 30, almost 30 years of explore. I don't even that's too, I'm making myself older than I am. It's I a, had like 20 something years of experience or 20 years of experience hunting to be able to share those things with you. Right. So a new hunter could come and watch my, I mean, I can't, if, if I told you how many times I get messages, Hey, thank you for that information. You know, I just started hunting or da, da, da. and I, I love those. That's why I do what I do. Um, but there is an impact to that. Yeah. Like absolutely. for instance, here in Arizona, part of the reason now there's, there's, there's some other uh, factors involved in why this happened, but historically we had like a 10% uh, success rate 
in archery than the archery season overall. Well, that 10% in 2020, 2021 went to like 40 something percent. Really? Holy a lot smoke. of that has to do with the fact that people were just sitting water holes. Right. And we had a drought two years in a row and those deer were just tied to, they had to go drink. So people were just whacking the shit out of deer, including myself. I, I thought about it after the fact that I wish I didn't do it, but in 2020 I shot a coos buck off of a water hole. And after that I was like, you know what? Right. Yeah. One, it wasn't as fulfilling to me because I knew it's not that I don't have a problem shooting deer off of water. I don't have a problem shooting deer off of, food plots any of that stuff because in normal situations it's every bit of hunting as this but this is literally like i it's like having a feeder and i know that there's going to be somebody there's going to be a right. deer there because they had to show up there was nowhere else for this thing to get water right. it had to go there and, that's, and in, go in, in south dakota here our success rate is 28 to 30 percent depending on the year i'd be curious to know how that has grown over the years and that's, that's what high. has come that's high that's above the national average so. yeah I, and i and that's what's also contributing to this mm-hmm. new, new decision is that we've got that much success and non-residents right. are contributing yeah. to that significantly contributing to that they're having some really good success uh, maybe yeah. it's just the style of hunting whereas yeah. it's not elk hunting in colorado where you have 10 percent or whatever it is it's- yeah uh, well they're 10 percent because there is there's the physicality right of that yeah limits people okay yeah um the ability to call limits people but there's plenty there's plenty of plenty of information out there. I mean, look at these elk 101, elk with 201s, and and all these like online things. Like, there's plenty of stuff for guys that who have never even stepped foot in the elk woods to digest enough information to go and find success out west. Don't you? Where twenty years ago, if you left New York and you came to Colorado to go elk hunting. If you got one, it was sheer freaking luck. Don't now you, there's guys coming armed with with the right information oh, yeah. to be to to you know. So don't you wish you had YouTube when you're trying to do your schoolwork? <laughs> oh my god, I think about that all the time. It's like Google I probably would stuff. I mean, come on, I probably wouldn't have got had, a D in genetics in college if I had YouTube to explain this stuff. Just another time. Like ah, it is to to absorb whatever information you want. You can absorb it much quicker, easier, and you can filter the quality of content instead of. I found an old bugling tips cassette, uh, and it's sitting on my desk. And I was like, I gotta listen to that. I want to know what that old timer has to say. I I remember listening to cassettes back in the day to learn how to elk call. Like that was that's what you had. I mean, so there's a lot of factors. There's a lot of factors that I think people don't necessarily think about. You know, they just kind of glaze over it. I'm like, yeah, man, it sucks. I used to go this place and that place all the time, and now I can't go those places. But 
guess what? Those places are still there for me to go to. I just got to share them with other people now. Right. Because of the way of the world. So you just, it's just about, you know, and figuring out a way to navigate and, and getting what you want out of your hunting. Um, and, and, uh, you know, it's like, I, for me, that's why I play the game. It, you know, I play yeah. the, I play the tag game. I play the, the state games because the opportunities are there. The quality of the hunts are still there. You just got to go out and find them. And this is this is a shitty thing because now, like I'm saying that, that's also going to diminish. You know, there's more people that are going to do that. That's going to diminish my overall experience. But if we want to keep hunting the way it is, we just got to kind of look at it in a way like, hey, okay, well, I may not be able to go to Wyoming every year. I may not be able to do that every year. But I think that if you find enough balance, you, you can, you can do the things you want to do. Um, yeah, I, I don't agree. know. I agree. And that's, we're, we're not just, I think, well, let me say you, you simplified it actually. I think in it's, it's a simple thing. People are hunting multiple States and they didn't in the 1980s. They are, are multiple States. They're expanding. They're spending more money on it. And then we have the social structure around it, creating, uh, easier access knowledge i think it's as simple as that and our and our so what to all that you said as well in that last set couple sentences of we have to create support and i think that might be a good segue into what you do with howl Mm -hmm. what howl is and and let that be our talk to our so what now okay we've got all this support or in a community um or we have lack of support with an anti-community. So yeah. speak to, and this, and I know my, my kid's down at the pool right now in the hotel swimming, and I think he's cold, so i got to wrap up here pretty quick here. But yep, um, yep. Um, let's let's plug Howl and, and uh, what you guys are working on. Okay. Well, I mean, Howl for Wildlife, uh, the, the, basically what we're, what we're working on is l- leveraging the – hunter's voice to prevent any more loss of hunting in any way, shape or form across the United States, actually across North America. Uh, and even, even in Africa, to be honest with you, we've gotten involved in a couple of things that affect Africa. Um, and do things to regain hunting. So you, you look at things like, Hey, there's not enough, uh, not enough deer tags. Well, but there's a crap ton of bear tags. Mm-hmm. Why don't you start going bear hunting? Like, start looking at things like that. That's um, not just a made-up stat, right there. That's there's some truth to that exact example. <laughs> Go bear well, hunting. Yeah, <laughs> in Go Colorado, bear bears are delicious. Absolutely, every bit, every bit is delicious as a deer so agreed i i don't i don't i don't see why you know and they're and they're just as fun to hunt mm-hmm. okay so there's that but the thing for me is that i that i see is like we're set, we just spent an hour plus talking about tag strategy and whatnot and people will gobble that crap up 
they will just sit there and they'll listen to it. They will digest it. They will go home. They'll spend several hours trying to figure out, you know, I, I could tell you from my own personal experience, how many hours a year I spend trying to perfect my craft, trying to, uh, figure out how I could go hunting more tags. I, I spend a ridiculous amount of time doing that. Okay. That makes it a lifestyle, how, not just spending time. Right. It's a lifestyle. Exactly. How many of us actually take 1% of that time that we spend doing those other things and put it to something that actually creates more opportunity? or prevents opportunity loss. We don't. Hmm. And it's, for me, I think it's cutting off your nose to spite your face. You know, if you're, if you're bitching about not having, you know, opportunities or whatever, and then you don't take a few moments to do something that is going to, keep that opportunity around or regain opportunity. Like right now we're working on bills that are right. We're trying our push right now is to put protections in place across the nation. There's like 25 or 26 different States that have some type of right to hunt, um, written into their state constitutions. So half the States basically, um, we're trying to get the other half to get those there too, because that is a protection that makes it harder for the anti-hunters to take away what you love. Okay. Um, there is a huge movement from the other side right now to introduce bills that allow them to infiltrate your game and fish commissions. We talked about that one in, in Maryland earlier. Mm -hmm. There's that is happening in multiple states, multiple states: New Mexico, Washington, uh, Oregon, um, Maryland. There's I several other ones that I can't think of off the top of my head right now. But they they're trying to get it so that people can be on a commission that and and be be a part of the anti-hunting community supporting would that make that makes no sense yeah right that makes zero sense why does this person should have any say in what goes on in the hunting and fishing laws is ridiculous you you already know what their agenda is there's no there's no science behind it they're not trying for the betterment of of the of the herd they're they just got one goal in mind and that is to shut you down so that is the push right now and the anti-hunting community is so good to each other they're so good at spreading their message amongst people who don't you know are, are in the middle they they're so good at organization. They're so good at, uh, like recruiting and they're so good at getting money and funding for, for these things. And they've been doing it well for years and years. We're good at getting money 
you know, we'll get $750,000 for deer tag in Arizona for conservation. And that money goes back to habitat, which is great. I mean, I'm not putting that stuff down. That is very necessary work, mm-hmm. but we do nothing, nothing to engage the middle ground into understanding what hunting and fishing and what conservation really means. The anti-hunting company uh, community is, is already has adopted conservation as their tagline. They're preservationists. They're not conservationists. Exactly. And, but they tout themselves as conservationists. I mean, just to give you an example, I was actually talking with this, oh, Jesse Duvel, uh, he's, uh, uh, I forgot what his position is, but he's with the New Mexico Wildlife Federation. And he's like, I normally go give a seminar to hunters and discussing this, 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 and that. And there'll be like 10 or 15 people. Okay. Mm-hmm. I went and gave that. He went and gave that same seminar to the Sierra Club. And the Sierra Club is, eh, depends on who you're talking to. And which which chapter of the Sierra Club? They're usually indifferent on hunting, and they're about you know protecting wildlife. So they're they're okay with the con- you know the conservation model, North American conservation, at least uh, nationally. That's what they 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 promote. But for the most part, they're animal activists. Okay, he went and gave the same presentation. There was like three hundred people. It's just to give you an idea, like, they're all in. We're all in when it comes to trying to get a tag, but we're not all in when it comes to trying to figure out how to keep this shit around. That makes (laughs) a lot of sense. That's a really good example. That's a really good example to paint that picture. You know, I'll I'll leave you with this. Listen, we we all pay into the same pot. And our biggest strength is the is the fact that we have this user pay um, system in place. Our biggest strength is our voice. Okay, if you let hunting in another state go away or a type of hunting, bear hunting, we use bear hunting because bear hunting, line hunting, they're always on the table because there's a low hanging fruit, mm-hmm. coyote hunting, whatever. You may not do those things, but if let's say Arizona loses bear hunting and I don't know, there was 3000 guys, guys and gals, whatever that only bear hunt. That was their thing. Now you just lost 3000 voices at the seat of the table. Not only did you lose their voices, now you lost their money that they were putting into the system, the yeah. tags that they were buying, the licenses they were buying, the gear that they were buying, all those things that contributed to the fact that we're still here on this planet doing what we love to do because of those things. So think about it like that. And if that's not enough, think about it like this. Once they get rid of bear hunting, once they get rid of lion hunting, once they get rid of, they're going to come for deer hunting because guess what? They're just going to keep going systematically until you are no more. Right. That is the goal. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, that's if, a- that's if that's not if that's not enough for you to get involved. Like so, 
powerful wildlife, what we've done, because we know how society has become, we can't even watch a, a, a 30 second video anymore. It's too much. Like if it takes, I, I see it in myself and my phone takes more than five seconds to load something. I get upset with it. <laughs> we, we've become so like, you know, we I need, need this now. now right now and, 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 and don't take up my time my time is precious mm -hmm. you know um we've made it so easy for people to get involved in these things we've laid everything out for you all the talking points all the the reasons why you should get and then putting you in contact with the persons or people that are directly tied to that action that legislation so you go to how for wildlife you put your name and your your email in there you hit send and it goes if you want to take the next step forward read through the email that was pre-drafted for you erase things and put your own words in there and send it we actually encourage you to do that yeah yeah it's really not i mean what does it take 20 seconds oh yeah so. i've done it from my phone multiple times and i was scanned through it's like oh that needs to happen now all right yeah there it is. Off, sent, done. That's yeah. Well, I mean, cake. you would be surprised. You'd be surprised. So we have, I think, upwards of 30,000 users. So one would think that you have 30,000. Uh, we don't have 30,000 members. I think there's like 20-something thousand members. Let's just take that number. Let's just say 20. Let's say 20,000. 20,000 members, you would think that every time there's an action up there, that 20,000 people would put their name and their email and hit send. Like, take that 30 seconds. If there was that, I could tell you right now, just with that alone, we would never lose a single thing. But it's more like but 10 to 20%, isn't it? 10 to 15. We get like, we get like 2,000 to 5,000 on, on a really, really good one. Yeah. I mean, come on. That's just telling me that people are are seeing stuff that, that affects them, that they want to get involved in. And then once they've done that, they don't want to get involved in something else because it doesn't affect them. And it, but guess what? It affects you. Yeah, <laughs> and it's super easy. Instead of having to, like, you get an email on a daily thing, whatever it is, and you're like, oh, I need to act on that later. No, it's I get that in my email, and it's like, God, just do it now. Just do it now real quick, and it's done. And then it's, I don't have to worry about it. I've already done, done it. Um, and because it is pretty quick to do. So, um, my wife would be pissed if I don't go down and help her real quick. So I better yep, let no you worries. go. And thank you so much, Sounds John, good. for, for yeah, doing that. You. I will put the links below in the show notes to where you can go to Howl for Wildlife and check that out. And again, thanks, John, for coming on and giving your perspective and all the things that you're doing for wildlife. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> you bet. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life.